Yeah? Good? Yeah? Good morning. Good morning. Mm, that was like 20%. This is, this is going to, okay, we're going to get another shot, okay? All right, I have no fruit to throw at you. I wouldn't do it anyway. You ready? Good morning. Good morning. All right, guys. Isn't God awesome? Yeah? I'm Jeremy. If we haven't met, that's my name. Uh, married to Kat. She's not here. She's not feeling well. Also, our son is sick, just on the list of people. And so I uh, just want to highlight a couple of things. One, Next Steps is our uh, process of walking you through all the important details of this ministry. So if I were going to join a church, uh, I would want to sit through and have a place where I could ask questions, evaluate their theology, understand their church government, uh, decide whether or not um, this was a place I believed that I could grow in my personal relationship with God. And so that's what Next Steps is about. Like she said, we'll provide lunch, child care. It's free. If you didn't sign up or RSVP in advance, that's totally fine. Um, if you've never been, you can come after. It's totally cool, especially if you're evaluating whether you want this to be your church. If you're not evaluating whether you want this to be your church, I will tell you it's a big waste of time unless you just want free food. In that case, we're happy to give it to you. That, thank you. There was like three laughs. That was kind of a joke. That should have been funny, right? Like That should have been funny. That's just not what pastors are supposed to say, probably. That'll happen a lot. Um, and the other is if gathering. So um, <clears throat> the tickets are going to sell out really fast for this. So uh, among the speakers, Christine Kane is one of the speakers. Last year before we launched, uh, we did this and it sold out really fast and we had just gotten here. And so people know about the conference. Uh, ladies, it's like an incredible time. There are groups and conversations that happen after that event. And so as soon as, uh, if you're interested at all, I'm just telling you, this isn't like some sort of like slide plug. We have limited seating. And so um, we just can't host more than what we can host. So if you want to go, you want to get in, let us know. If you need a scholarship, let us know too. Don't let finances keep you from encounter. And the church said, I mean, the whole church said, Amen. Cool. I don't take myself super seriously, but I do take God very seriously. So um, so welcome to a fun environment where I hope to help you learn more about Jesus. Here's a couple rhythms we do. One is personal study scriptures. So the communicators in this house put together a list of scriptures for you to take your phone out and take a picture of. If you, um, when you go to church, you hear a sermon, you hear someone teaching the Bible, hopefully, and uh, oftentimes what we leave is maybe some like quotes that meant a lot to us or some tweetables or something that we're like, ooh, I'll put that in my back pocket. That's a snippy little thing that'll come up whenever I need something to draw on. Um, but what we really want is for uh, the word to become a part of you. And in order for it to do that, um, you have to water the seed. And so what we try to do is give you a theological framework every Sunday so you can dig in, evaluate if what the speaker was saying that week is actually biblical or not. And that was kind of a joke because I hope that it is, but also for your benefit. Cool? All right. Awesome. First slide, Ephesians 2.10. I'm just going to dive in. Y'all cool with that? We'll pray in just a second. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his. I'm going to pause. I got the opportunity to be the first male communicator at an all-women's conference this last weekend. And by that, I mean yesterday. Because today's Sunday, and it was yesterday. It's been a wild ride, y'all. Um, <clears throat> and I, uh, I started with this verse then, too. It starts by establishing something we're talking about today. Today's the start of our Real Relationship series. Um, a lot of people do Relationship Series in February to the point where Relationship Series in February are almost expected and cliche. Um, but where we want to start in relationships is identity. So today's message is titled Real Identity. Um, each one will be real, whatever the subject is. You know, real relationships are just following a pattern. Everyone appreciates that. Cool. Anyway, so um, here's what this says. It starts by saying, we are his. And then I just want to stop there and highlight this. Your identity was formed before you existed. So before time began, God had a purpose and plan for your life. Yes, you. Every single one of you. Uh, nothing about you is a mistake. You were knit together in your mother's womb, is what the Bible says, with purpose 
and care and intent. Uh, there are many scriptures where uh, the author Paul uses this root word in Greek called poema. It's where we get our word poem. And, and in most times when he uses it, it's a description of how God sees you, that you are his poem. Um, you're his artistry. You are a beautiful collection of his words spoken over you. In the beginning of time, before the world existed, God existed. And when God wanted the world to exist, he used his words to create the world that you see. I'm saying that to make sure you understand the weight and the power and the authority his words are meant to have over our lives. Because the same creative beauty and creativity that created this wonderful view that we get the honor of seeing and experiencing in the ministry um, was made with the same words. But my sense is that most everyone in the room could look outside the window. Go ahead and do it. I'll give you a chance to get your eyes off of me for 10 seconds and look at something really pretty. It's very pretty, right? Most would agree. And with the understanding I just created, I hope you understand that God's creativity spoke all of that into existence. Spoke meaning his words created it. The same speaker, the same words, the same God created all of you. Okay. So one of the reasons we end up in relationships we have no business being in is because we create a narrative inside of our soul associated with our identity that gives us permission to describe God's beauty and creativity and what we see out there. But then when we look in the mirror, we don't associate God's beauty and creativity with what is sitting in the seat that you're sitting in. Because the enemy has worked so hard your entire life to distract you, to create a false narrative inside your life, to uh, give you, uh, let's just say, he's tried to take the pen out of the hand of God and create an alternative script for your life. Does this make sense? And what he doesn't want is for you to associate everything in your life with God's original intent. What he wants is for you to live out of an identity not rooted in the God who doesn't make any mistakes. And when he created everything in the beginning, he described it all as good. And in the root word of that in Hebrew, it actually means perfect, without error, flaw, or mistake. And he described humanity that way when he made them. They were included. When he finished his creativity, God said, it's good. Sin entered the world and started trying to taint humanity and making us look more like or at least feel like we're more like a Picasso than something that makes sense to the eye. Maybe you love Picasso, not a jab at him, but Picasso paintings just are just a chaotic mess, right? And so, and if not, take some time to Google after and be like, oh, that was a good analogy. Good job, Jeremy. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, his poema, his, uh, his hand on the pen creating, his words that created that, created you, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. What's beforehand? At the beginning, at the beginning, beginning, like before there was a beginning, and it's impossible almost to fathom that the God, before anything existed, saw you sitting in this room, knew you were going to be here, hearing a message about identity at the beginning of a relationship series. He knew that. That's wild, right? He cares about you. He loves you. And he wants you to know who you are. And you were created by him as his workmanship in Christ, which for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, the title of the message is Real Identity. So let's just take a second. This is our other rhythm. Let's close your eyes. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me through this message? One more time. Just talk to God. Don't just repeat words in the air. Talk directly to him. Center into this. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me through this message? God, your word says that death could not beat Jesus, and he came back to life, and living things speak, so we believe that you talk. Jesus taught 
and the upper room discourse in John 14 through 17, that the Holy Spirit would come and that he would speak. And not only would he speak, but he would lead and guide us into all truth. And so, God, what we need is not the culture's narrative. We need your voice. God, we need your word, and we need you to reveal your word to us. We need to know how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to experience life, and we want you at the very center of all of it. So today, God, I ask that you use me to communicate what you want. Help me to say what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, for your glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Um, Anyone ever seen Alice in Wonderland? Okay, so in Alice in Wonderland, Alice is, you know, lost in Wonderland, and she encounters the Cheshire Cat. Do you guys remember the Cheshire Cat? Okay, so she walks up to the Cheshire Cat, and just in case you don't remember what the dialogue is, I just want to dump some Disney in your lap just for a second, okay? Walks up to the Cheshire Cat, and the Cheshire Cat asks her this question, where are you going? And then her response was, do you anybody remember? I don't know. And then the Cheshire Cat's response was to say, well, any direction will get you there. She found herself at a fork in the road, and the Cheshire Cat said, where are you going? She said, I don't know. And he said, any route you choose will get you there. I think one of the primary reasons we don't know who we are is because we often live like Alice. What's your purpose? I don't know. What's the meaning of your life? I don't know. Who are you? I don't know. Well, you can get there no matter what, and you can certainly get there without any of God's help. Do you guys see what's happening? I know I'm creating a narrative. It's fun. It's like we're on a roller coaster waiting for it to drop. So that's not what I want for you. I want you to know who you are and live a life of purpose. And the church said, and the church said, I want that too. Don't you? I mean, that's what you should want, right? Don't live on accident, running up to every fork in the road, utterly confused about which direction, right? Don't you feel that way? How many of you feel that way? You've encountered those moments of chaos and confusion? The Bible says he's not the author of confusion, right? So when you find yourself in a place and space where you're trying to make big life decisions and you don't know where you're called or who you're called or who you are, don't make life-altering decisions in the middle of a chaotic season. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like pulling a hand grenade in the dark, not knowing where the enemy is, right? You pull the pin, then what do you do? You're, you're stuck holding something that's going to kill you, and it should protect you. Do you guys get I'm just a fountain of analogies. So in order to do that, you, need to, <laughs> you have to know who you are. You need real identity. Can you say real identity? All right, so here's the deal. I'm going to walk you through a framework the Lord showed me a little over 10 years ago that gives you the principles you need to know to know who you are and rise to the high calling of God on your life. It's a high calling. There's no, there's no low calling in the kingdom of God. And high calling is not based upon how many people you get to talk to on social media. High calling doesn't have to do with the number of followers you have on Instagram. That's not real influence. There's this mantra that started in the 90s that said leadership is influence. And that's not not true, double negative, right? It's not not true, right? But it's also not true because uh, leadership is not just influence. Leadership is multiplication. And in the kingdom of God, God called you to be a leader, to multiply. That's what the Great Commission is. Are you with me? Y'all with me? So we're all about putting the Great Commission back into your hands. Do you understand? Like the... The church, Jesus doesn't win if the whole move of God is about one person with a microphone and a charismatic personality who says cool things. And we need disciples who make disciples. And guess what? That's you. You're meant to be a disciple who makes disciples to whatever scale God gives you the influence to make disciples. And one of the hardest things to do is to look in the mirror and realize that God wants to make disciples through you, which means he believes that you are worth duplicating. I said this yesterday, but and I don't mean to make Jesus sound like a criminal in this sense, but you have to see Jesus kind of like a pirate, and that's your job as a disciple. And that is to be constantly 
never, never to cease looking for the hidden treasure inside of the souls of everyone around you. You're meant to be like Jesus pirates. I mean it to be kind of silly and funny, but our job is not to look at the outside of someone and determine what's inside of them. When Jesus does work, he does it from the inside out. We don't get the luxury of being Christians saying everyone should be able to come into the house of God no matter what. You don't get good to get God. You get God to get good in the church said, amen. Go tweet it, right? Okay, like let's, let's tweet it or live it, but let's do both. And let's live it first and tweet it second. And let's care more about becoming a person who's transformed by his influence before we worry about retweeting something that makes us look like Christians on social media. And the church said, okay, this is just like round one, all right? Let's go. Here we go. You guys ready for the principles and all the things? And like, okay, one plus one's got to equal two. All right. So this is what God wanted, the original plan. I want to say something. So if you're a note taker, um, this is a principle called the law of first mention. So when you study the Bible, there's this thing called the law of first mention. All right. And what it means is anytime that something arrives for the very first time in the Bible, we should pay close attention to it. So when God created man, he gave man a manual. So if God created something good, think about this very practically. I'm not saying we haven't screwed it up and we don't continue to screw it up. But when God made something and he called it good, do you think God's intent was for it to remain good? Now, I mean, this is actually really important to our whole view of God, okay? In the beginning, God created everything. When he was done creating it, he called it good. Do you think in the purest, most perfect version of all things that have ever existed, that God's plan was for it to stay good. Meaning he didn't just create it good, he made it to be intentionally good and perpetually good, right? Intentionally good and perpetually good. And the church said, okay, if you don't believe that, this is going to be the road to being transformed by the presence of God is going to be really hard because we're, he is always through his spirit trying to get us back to the purity of the Garden of Eden. So before sin entered the world, he wants to restore that status inside of you spiritually before the second coming of Christ and the new earth and the new heaven and all these kinds of things. You guys with me? Okay, so if you don't believe you want you to remain good, then what's the point of Jesus, period? Because what he does, Romans 5, is that he reassigns the connection, the relationship, and the purity in the garden based on our reception of Jesus. That might be complex. I'm going to break it down and make it really easy here in a second, okay? Let's read these scriptures, and then I'm going to break down the context. We will be out of here as soon as we are out of here. Genesis 2-7. You see what I did there? You're like, when? Don't worry about it. No one's looking at the clock. Genesis 2-7. You ready? Whoa. I, okay. You guys ready? Okay. Let's have fun, guys. Can we have fun? Can we? It's going to be not fun if we don't have fun. Argue that logic. Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Genesis 2, 15 through 18. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Who did he say that to, just to clarify before moving on? Who did he say it to? What's his name? Adam. Okay. Eve's not there yet. Who did he say it to? Okay. Don't. Make it something I'm not. I'll clarify in just a second. It's important for later. <sighs> said it to Adam, for the day you eat, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, Genesis 2, 19 through 22 and 25. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Why do you call giraffes giraffes? Because Adam said, let it long neck spotted 
thingy that looks out of balance be called a giraffe? You know what I mean? Why do you call elephants elephants? Adam. Okay, we just, okay, I know mind-blowing theology, right? Okay, calm down, calm down. All right, so the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed it up, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought to her the man. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." So many things to say, both naked and not ashamed. I'm going to dive into these principles, but when there was only, their only source was God, they lived a life without shame. This is really important. When shame comes into your life, you can feel guilty because you made a bad decision, and shame does come along with bad choices, but God relieves us of the shame when we repent. That's how that works. People are like, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The rest of that is those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if you're living a life of sin, you should feel conviction. You should feel the weight of the decision you're making in the sinful places until you repent again and give that back to Jesus. You guys with me? This is a perpetual state of repentance, right? We're living in a perpetual state of repentance. Anything else is really like less than biblical. Anytime we make a mistake, one of the best pieces of advice I can give you for living for the Lord is being quick to repent. Repent fast and, and tell somebody else like confession and repentance. Repent to God and tell somebody else, hey man, I made a mistake, I slipped up, I told the Lord I was sorry, I repented, and this is part of repentance too. I'm just going to put this in there because I opened this closet, so I just want to jam everything I can in it before I shut the door, okay? This is what repentance is, acknowledging that you sinned, asking him for forgiveness, and then turning away. Most people are good at the first two, but most of the time, when we say we're sorry and we feel his peace come back, we don't create a strategic plan not to end up in the same place. So then we create a recurring cycle of sin because we didn't do the last part. I acknowledge that I made a decision that's out of the perspective of something God would want for me. Bottom line, it didn't please God. He wouldn't be pleased with it. So I said, hey, I know you wouldn't be pleased with this, God. I repent. You're the only one who can pardon my sin. But because I decide that I don't want to repeat this, I'm going to make a plan that's going to involve other people. Accountability is incredible. It's vitally important. We don't like it, but it's important. Vital even. Vital? Accountability is vital. Yeah? Because you can't do it all alone. God made you to be in communion and unity with him and with each other. He called it the body of Christ and called each one of us a unique individual member of it. And he, and he said not to let there be a schism or a division within the body at all for any reason of the actual body. Think about that. Not in the message. That was free. Not funny. I get it. Okay. You ready? Note takers, write this down. You can't have freedom without identity. You can't have freedom without identity. Identity is the fruit of conformity. Identity is the fruit of conformity. And conformity is the result of surrender. It's really powerful flow. You can't have freedom without identity. Identity is the fruit of conformity. Conformity is the result of surrender. If you want to break the cycles in your life of sin, if you want to get fully out of addiction, men, if you're struggling with pornography addiction and you want that secret thing to be demolished, this is the flow. It is surrender and conforming to the Lord, allowing who he's called you to be to be the thing you set your standards in life by. And then you find freedom through that process. And the church said, Jesus didn't just die as fire insurance to get us out of hell. That's one piece. What he also did in the same respect was to set us free from the effects of sin. So we shouldn't be satisfied with heaven alone, as crazy as that sounds. We should be pursuing freedom and healing and life and life abundant. Right? Cool. Four principles. You guys ready? <laughs> you guys ready? Okay, I know, man. He, he wants us to say things. It's cool. All right, first one, first thing we see. So law of first mention, right? 
law of first mention, the first thing we see in God's relationship with man is intimacy, okay, or the relationship in and of itself. God never intended for us to have a relationship with him that didn't cultivate oneness with him. That's really important. Like, there's no, there's no framework where God wanted us to have relationship that didn't cultivate unity with him. He's not our side chick. Do you know what I'm saying? He's not our side dude, whatever. Do you guys get what I mean? Like he's the center and our yes to him causes a no to anything he doesn't like. That's relationship, right? Yeah? Cool. So the first one we see is relationship. What does relationship look like? It is unbroken communication with God. So God could go to Adam, speak to Adam. Adam would hear God. Adam would do what God said. Adam would talk to God. God would respond. They had dialogue. This was what their relationship looked like. This is still what it's meant to look like. The first thing you see established or in a relationship series, is that you need to have a personal, unified relationship with God, or you shouldn't be sniffing around to invite anybody else into your situation. Because every time God brings someone into your life, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor over the last 20 years, I have found people who are in love with someone that is an absolute train wreck. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't love them. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't die on the cross for them. What I'm saying is God brings people together for purpose, kingdom purpose. This is what it was meant to be, right? Like this is how it was meant to be, kingdom purpose. So that means that he doesn't want you to marry someone just because they're hot or just because they make good money or just because they real smart you know, and real charismatic, and I could see myself with this person, you know what I'm saying? Like, all these things, those are all really fun, and I like those things. Those are really nice. I want to feel that way about my spouse, but God cares about those things very little. Do you guys understand, like, y'all see that, right? I got all your attention right now, right? Like, no throwing knives at this guy up here. Here's what we see. In relationship with God, he's their source, so relationship with God is soul source slash soul source. You understand? Okay, so pun, right? Pun fun. I've never said that before. You're welcome. <laughs> His identity was completely based on what God said about him. This is where it all started. What Adam knew about himself is what God said about him. What Adam knew to do is what God told him to do. What Adam cared about is what God told him he should care about. Do you guys, like, this is really important because we have to work backwards. You come into the world having to work backwards. You're, you're, you didn't get to pick your parents. You could have the greatest parents in the world or the opposite. Okay, I don't, I don't know all your situations. I don't know your life. I know some of your stories, and you know what it was like to have a hard life, but you didn't get to pick your parents, and your parents invested stuff into you. Okay, so by the time you're able to make your own decisions, you're having to unlearn some things you've been taught, and you have to choose to intentionally pursue the things you would have hoped to have had, and God would have wanted to be good from the beginning. It's called humanity. We tend to screw things up a little bit, right? Okay, so... He is meant to be, if we're going to have God-centered identity, he is our source, our soul source and our soul source. Really important. Principle one. The second thing we see is work. Ooh, that's not a curse word either, man. That's a four-letter word we need to get really comfortable with. It says in uh, Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to, remember this, dress it and keep it. Okay, steward and protect is what these words mean. Okay, why did Adam do it? Really answer, not rhetorical. God did it. Okay, so God said, go in, and I want you to steward, steward. Still no Eve, by the way. Steward and protect. 
what I put in your life. Steward and protect what I put in your life. Go to the place I told you to go. Be there. Steward that and protect that. You get what I mean? So one of the things that will set us free is when we recognize who we are, we begin to understand what he would call us to do. And if we understand who we are and we look at what we're currently doing, we have to evaluate whether or not what we're currently doing is something he called us to in the first place. And then we have to decide whether we're going to steward and protect it from God or if we're going to let God have it and allow him to call us to something new or different or modify it. But if this is this, then we no longer care about this. Here's what I mean. As a believer, once you've given your life to God, who does it belong to? God, which means he can say right now, leave your job, go somewhere else. That's like me giving you my wallet and saying, hey, go spend the money however you want. And then when you go spend all the money however you want, can I come up to you and be like, hey, why'd you spend the money however you want? Why? Yeah, I told you to. I gave it to you. It was your responsibility. You got to use it however you wanted to. That means it belongs to you. When you give your life to God, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Like he becomes the man in your life, like the man, you know, like not like a man, like the man, you know. He becomes your boss. He becomes your Lord. He becomes your king, right? So then if he's like, hey, I want you to live below the poverty level in this season of life or whatever, you're fine to do it. If he wants you to go live... Uh, making tons of money, then go make tons of money. If you want you to live somewhere in between, then go live somewhere in between. I'm telling you right now, God cares more about your soul than he does your prosperity. And he wants you to steward your prosperity as much as he wants you to steward seasons where he held you back from prosperity so you could learn to steward prosperity better. I'm not a prosperity preacher by any, by any means, right? But what I'm saying is he places us, this is what we should want. We should want a God that we're close to who we say, okay, does this please God? That's what Jesus said in John 8, 29. He said, the Father never leaves me because I do what pleases him. Jesus' model wasn't like the first commandment said this, the second commandment said this, the third commandment said this, and I do all the commandments. He fulfilled all the commandments and didn't violate the commandments, not because he was trying not to break commandments, but because his relationship with God caused him to ask a question that led to purity, which was, does this please God? Now, some of you in the room are like, how am I supposed to know what pleases God? Right now, do the best you can. Jesus, the word of God says that he has written the law on our hearts, saved or unsaved. He's imprinted something inside of you that tells you this is right or wrong. And then whether we're saved or not, we're constantly making character decisions, identity decisions, ethical decisions. You guys with me? So everyone in this room, whether you've memorized the entire Bible or know nothing about it all, you have an internal, spiritual, God-given compass inside of you to help you make decisions that would please him. So here's my suggestion. If you find yourself in a situation, I'm not sure if this would please him or not, then just don't do it until you're sure. Don't complicate it. It doesn't have to be confusing. Does this please him or not? Is this what he wants? If you can't emphatically say yes, then just don't do it. If he wants you to have it, it's the God of the universe. He's the dude who opens his mouth and creates all of that. Do you think he can't bring an opportunity back around? You think he can't give you the job? You think he can't bring the relationship with the perfect person if it's really them? And stop pulling the God card every time someone says they love Jesus and they're cute, okay? Stop saying, like, this must be the Lord. You know, like, oh, my gosh, guys. I can't even tell you. Like, soapbox moment, okay? Like, soapbox moment, all right? Like, I cannot tell you how many train wreck relationships I've tried to help people not get into. And I'm not the wisest dude on the planet, but some stuff is obvious, okay? Like, if, if, like, if you're coming up to me and your name is Georgina, are there any Georginas in the room just before I, like, paint a picture of Georgina? I don't want to offend anybody, okay? All right, Georgina rolls up to me and she's like, you know, Jeremy, I uh, just met this guy. And... Before I continue, there's going to be a few things that I don't think you're going to agree with. And, like, right away, I'm like, yeah. 
great. Heard this song before. I know this song, man. And then she's like, he said that he loves Jesus. And I'm like, man, that's where I'd start too. What is what is his life look like? Well, you know. It's like a, still actively addicted to narcotics. It's like, okay. Uh, yeah, so what do you, what's your next step? Let's just say not a good idea. Whatever comes into your mind that's not a good idea, paint your own picture, okay? It's your kid who's coming to you and they're like, hey, dad, hey, mom, I want to date this person. They like Jesus. Paint your own picture, paint your own narrative, okay? Whatever's in your head, and you're like, no, no way, man. Not in this season, not in this time, over my dead body, whatever you want to say, okay? This isn't cruel. Jesus can do his transformative work without you being romantically involved with people. And stop like, here's, here's where you will mess up. Y'all ever heard of missionary dating? Okay, and the church says, okay. y'all, that's a big, mm-hmm. okay, that's too big of an mm-hmm for that response, okay? Bottom line, Georgina, look, girl, I, I think it's great that you find this guy attractive. I think it's cool that he thinks he loves Jesus, but his responsibility as your husband is to model what it looks like to be a son. And so my question isn't like, hey, man, does he give a nod to God? I'm asking, are you marrying a son of the King of Kings? Is his whole life centered around Jesus because you were created in as his workmanship? You're his poema. Is he his poema? Or do you take the pen out of God's hands and start writing your own poem and own script is like well he'd be cool if he wasn't so abusive he would be great if he wasn't so addictive he would be awesome if he wasn't a big hot mess or her or whatever you guys with me this isn't bullying this is saying like hey your call of God is important your soul is important your purpose that he called you to before time began is important and it's worth saying no to the wrong person you don't need romance more than you need Jesus. And if you marry the wrong person or get in a relationship with the wrong person, you're going to get on your knees and you're going to beg God for a bailout of something you didn't want his involvement with in the first place. I talk to people all the time. They don't model any semblance of like kingdom philosophy around money. And then they're like, man, I'm hurting for money or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, cool, let's sit down and talk, right? I've got training and experience in this. Let's figure it out, right? And it's like, Okay, like you're just wasting all your money, and then when you run out, you're praying, and you're like, anybody guilty of this? Like, 100% me. And so, like, not in this season, but a previous one, you know, now I'm saved or whatever, and then I still messed up after I was saved because I'm still human. You're welcome for the transparency. But you ever find yourself getting down on your knees and begging God for something that was totally avoidable for him to fix something that was just totally avoidable if you just listened to his principles? I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, you know, God never really calls me to fast. And I'm like, okay, uh, what? Like, amazing how spiritual we get around spiritual stuff. He also didn't call you to go get hammered at the bar last night, right? But it's like, oh, you know, the God things. He's got to call me to, like, not eat or something. Like, those are biblical principles. God doesn't honor, doesn't respect persons, but he does respect principles. And so then if you want to honor God with your money, then you get all the blessings God promises with honoring money. If you want to have a blessed relationship, then you honor the principles of those relationships. This is how it works. Like, he's not our get-out-of-jail-free card, right? We treat him like the little box, the little card. It's like, yeah, jail free you know, chance or community chest. It's in both, right? One orange, one yellow. I'll play some Monopoly. I'll run you off the board, too. Nobody will play Monopoly with me. So challenge accepted whenever you're ready. Do you guys with me? I'm off my soapbox now, okay? Disciplined in work and stewardship. Principle two, dress it and keep it. Steward and protect it. Disciplined in work and stewardship. It's a commandment against laziness and sloth. I'm telling you right now, if the person you want to date spends 20 hours a week playing video games, they're wasting their time. I know, I know like a handful of people who do it as a profession, okay? Like legit, it's a job now. I'm not sure why that wasn't going on in the 80s with Mario Brothers or something. I could have rocked some people with the OG Mario Brothers, man. I can beat that whole game in like three and a half minutes. Real talk, okay? Like all the things. Not bragging, I'm just saying I'm awesome, okay? Uh, it was a joke. Calm down. 
commandment against laziness and sloth. Here's what I'm saying. Like if you're in a relationship with someone and they're constantly perpetually napping and they have no clarity around who they are. If God has put something in you, you can't sit down anymore, guys. I'm telling you right now. When you're full of the purpose of God, it drives you into something. Being a Christian is the craziest life you're ever going to live. And you can live a crazy life before Jesus, but once the Holy Spirit gets inside of you and he starts dictating your decisions, you're like, wait a second, you want me to be here? I got like a really cool house and a great job and a lot of friends and family and everything's going great. I've got the American dream. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. That's not in the Bible. I know it's so hardcore, right? Take care of yourself and steward and grow what is within your care. What's within your care? It's called boundaries. Third one is purpose. Where do we see purpose? And I'm going to clarify something, and I want it to set you free. Most of the time, what we end up doing is making an idol out of this. This is what most people do, right? We, like, go to church on Sunday. We work our butts off during the week, right? God isn't transforming anyone in our normal circles of influence, but we still come, we serve in church. This isn't criticism. This is real life, okay? I'm not helping anybody by being all soft and whatever. Jesus died on the cross. It was horrific, okay? So until we suffer more or do more, no, no, no wusses in the kingdom of God, man. I'm sorry. Work, okay? Was that too hardcore? Is that too hardcore? I don't think any of you are wusses, by the way. And if you are, just don't be anymore. Work. Most people turn this into an idol. We start doing work and we think it's purpose. We start pursuing purpose as if it's God and we turn that into an idol. This is going to set you free. This is what happens, right? We start to know who we are. We bought into a narrative. We're like, I'm a child of God, right? Child of God. That's absolutely true. Then it should come with an overflow of lifestyle, though, right? And that leads into clarity around what you're supposed to steward and what to protect. He put it in your hands. He called you to be there. And then you get to this place, and you're like, God, what is my purpose? I mean, I have not been asked more questions about anything in my life from believers than this question. What is my purpose? And I'm going to set you free right now. This is what the Bible shows. And then rack this up with whatever measuring stick you want. You guys ready? Okay, ready or not, here it comes. Genesis, <laughs> in, in Adam's life, one of the things he did that was purpose was actually naming the animals. I want you to think about that while I write this down. Naming the animals. Why is that purpose? It doesn't seem purposeful. The animals don't have souls. They aren't going to go to heaven. Oh, my gosh. Okay, all the pet owners. Look, guys, the Bible says there's no more tears and no more pain in heaven, okay? Like, it's going to be maybe, okay, look, all dogs go to heaven, all right? Whatever, man. I felt that. I felt that, Seattle. I felt that, Seattle, place with more dogs and kids. I feel you. Okay, look, look, I'm not necessarily saying I'm wrong. I'm just saying I'm going to get off of it for the sake of your souls, okay? Your dogs are adorable and cute. I hope that Allie Ray, my beautiful fawn boxer that passed away like eight years ago, I get to, you know, keep teaching cool tricks or whatever. I'm just saying... Whatever, okay? Emotions aside. Purpose, naming the animals, because the reason we still call the animals what we call them is because Adam named them that. Do you think Adam knew? Think about this. Do you think Adam knew that he was doing something with purpose, or do you think he was just obeying God and doing what he was asked to do? I know. I structured that, that question just to set us up for a home run, man. <laughs> Okay, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, all generations after this are going to call giraffes giraffes. That's my favorite animal, by the way. That's why I use it so much. That's not what happened, right? He was like, okay, you're my sole soul source. I do what you want. I put in my hands what you want. If you tell me to put it down, I put it down. I'm not attached to anything that you give me because it's yours. I gave you my life, right? And so anything he picks up, he's willing to put down. Anything he puts down, he's willing to pick up as so long as God tells him to do it. So then he's just living this out. And then he ends up doing something in the course of doing this. He doesn't make work as idle. He's not performing for God. He's obeying God. 
And in the course of obeying God, he ends up stepping into something that is meant to live beyond him. That's what purpose is. And the reason you can't pursue purpose is you won't know when you're fulfilling it. We get all kinds of inspirational stuff like this will be this and that. Only God knows. Only God knows if what you're doing now is meant to be something that impacts future generations. And you can say whatever you want about it, but how many movements, think about this, how many movements have died and are no longer producing fruit and the generations that participated in that fruit are no longer perpetuating that fruit? We're talking about stuff that's meant to impact and leave something behind that is perpetual in nature. And you won't know you're doing it because it's up to God to put favor on it. You guys with me? So how do you know you're fulfilling your purpose? Here's how you can know. Because you've decided that this, that he, that God is your sole, sole source. And you only pick up what he tells you to pick up. And you only guard and protect or steward. That's build and protect. There's this really cool, uh, just to talk to you about risk. Christians, I'm talking to all of you. Can you repeat after me? It's risky because I didn't tell you what I'm going to say first. Could be anything. I am. Okay, one more time, everybody. I am a risk taker. Yeah. Okay. You know why? Because what you perceive as risk, when God tells you to do it, it's not risky at all. There's no risk. If you're obeying God, there's no risk. I quit a six-figure job, sold a beautiful home, left a thriving community, and a lot of opportunity to move to Seattle. Three months after I moved, my back was broken. I was aggressively moving towards paralysis. Shortly after that, like right after getting better, Katerina got pregnant, and then we lost the baby in the middle of the pregnancy, in the second trimester. Now, do you think your circumstances have to be perfect for you to be in the will of God? Nothing I just said was easy. I still can't feel most of my right leg after the surgery that I had. Real talk, guys. You didn't know that when I'm prancing around up here, did you? Yeah, I got like rods and screws and I'm metallic, homie. I'm bionic, all right? My back is not breaking again, at least in that one spot. You know, the rest of it's probably pretty fragile. You guys with me? Just take a breath really quick. Let it out. This is not complicated. You are meant to not care about what you lose because you're only supposed to hold what God put in your hands in the first place. It means God gave you something that belonged to him and he asked you to steward and protect it. There's this really cool parable called the parable of the talents. Read this. When God puts it in your hands, steward also means grow it. Grow it, invest it, do something with it. Don't bury it in the sand. We didn't, we didn't take our foot off the gas whenever I was like not able to walk well and we lost the baby. We like healed and we're in counseling and all the things you need to do to steward your soul and your heart, okay? But what we didn't do was take our foot off the gas. We still believe God called us, we're here, right? You're in the room, right? I don't care how big the room is, and I don't care how many people are in here. You're here. We're here. We didn't take our foot off the gas. We're not quitting. Revival is coming to the city of Seattle. This city is going to be transformed by the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to have his way, and all the drugs and all the brokenness and all the messed up theology and all the broken philosophies in this culture will not stand against the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in this city. And we are called to create disciples in this city, and I'm saying that because I've written a check to be here. What was that check? Surrender to Jesus. I gave him my life. He called me. I did what he said. And I stumble and I fail, but I'm here. You have stumbled and you've fallen, but you're here. God has purpose in your life. Don't quit. Be a don't quit generation. Be people who stumble and fall and screw up, but don't quit. Don't pull out of community. Don't step away from the Lord. Don't do anything crazy or anything that doesn't make sense within this framework. Let God be the one who is really blessing it. And not every opportunity is the Lord. Not everything that looks like a financial gain is God. On the way here, we were offered an opportunity that would have led to fame and legit fortune. 
And the Lord told us not to take it. I don't know if I'm a blessing to your life or not, but if I would have said yes to that, we would not have met. This church would not be here if we picked shiny and bright over obedience. There are people who need you, full of Jesus. The purpose in you, the thing inside of you, is important. It's eternal. And you don't need something new. You need something eternal. You don't need something that some smart person who's had some success wrote a book about. You need what the God who has all wisdom, who's utterly successful and is never lost, has to say. Fourth principle. Be careful with this, man. You can't pursue purpose. You'll fulfill it on accident. You'll fulfill it in the process of obedience. You don't need to pick a single thing up he didn't ask you to. And when he puts something in your hand, grow that sucker, man. Find some people and grow it together. Stay accountable to community so you don't put something in it that wasn't meant to be there. But man, look, go read the parable of the talents, note takers, the parable of the talents, and see what happened. The dude who buried it in the sand and did nothing with it, everything that he had got taken and it got given to the person who produced more. God's not talking about production. He's talking about faith. If God wants you to lose the thing he gave you, then you'll lose it. But if he wants to multiply it, he'll give you the favor to multiply it. The church said, amen. The, the last and maybe the most important is contentment. Contentment. If you don't have this, you won't do this, you won't do this, you'll never fulfill this. Contentment. Where do we see this in his narrative? Adam never asked for a wife. Think about this. Adam didn't ask God for a wife. Adam didn't say, I'm lonely, I need comfort. He didn't say, it'd be nice if I didn't have to steward and tend this all by myself. Did he? No, why? Because he was content. He didn't need to ask for anything he didn't have because he believed that if God wanted him to have it, he would. I know this is simple, man, but we're the ones who mess up our lives, y'all. Like, I know what trauma's like. I know what poverty's like. I get it. Okay? Like, let's go have coffee. Share stories. I know a lot of your stories. And what I see are a big bunch of people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You take some people out to eat. You take some people who look like they got it all together with their really nice sweaters on and their beautiful wife and their wonderful kids. Okay, and you ask them where they started. Ask them where they started. Don't ever look at the outside of how someone presents themselves now and think that they didn't walk through something. One of the biggest mistakes you'll make is looking at someone who looks like they have it all together and you will completely miss the narrative of surrender that got them there in the first place. Don't look at broken people and think there's nothing hidden inside of them. That's not what God believes. And I'm thankful that God didn't leave me in a gutter. I'm thankful that when I wanted to put a gun in my mouth, he didn't want me to do it. I'm thankful that in seasons where I wanted to give up and quit and walk away, that his grace was there to meet me in my moments of human frailty. You're not going to do it all right. But if you just honor his principles and say, hey, you know what? I'm striving. I'm living in comparison. I want a new car. Not because I need a new car, but I want a new car because I think it'd be nice to have a new car. Well, that's God's money, y'all. I really like those new sneakers. I do like shoes, okay? I'm just going to put it out there. I don't want it to be a problem, okay? I'm just going to confess that now, okay? Look, I don't have an absurd sneaker collection. Why? Because I value God's money. All right? But I have a sneaker or two. All right? So get out of get out of my face. All right? Stop judging me. Y'all with me? Look, man. What are we doing, man? He's our sole, sole source. So his opinion matters most. His opinion matters. And we only do what he puts in our hands to do and where he sends us to go. And we don't need to sit and tussle and wrestle with whether we are where we're supposed to be. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of clarity. 
So you don't need to dig around and be like, am I where I'm supposed to be? Blah, 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 blah. Guess like, if he's your soul, 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 soul. Can you all say soul, soul? Whenever you say that's it, fun. It's hard to do in unison when you don't practice. I'm not going to give you another chance. Work. If you're, if he's your soul, soul, you think he's going to leave you in confusion? No. no, man. He's not. And struggling in bad circumstances and hard times are not testimonies that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And they're not testimonies that you are doing what you're supposed to do either. Stop blaming God all the way around. Be like, well, I'm suffering for being persecuted for Jesus. You might not be. You might have been an idiot, and you might have made some bad choices, and those are called consequences. That too much? Okay, so like quit blaming God for everything, and quit blaming the devil for everything too. Maybe we're just humans having a human experience and we forgot that we're children of God and we're supposed to model some principles, right? And it's okay. That's what grace is for. Relationship, work, purpose, contentment. Look, guys. Naveen, can you come up here and make this more spiritual? <clears throat> Here's what Adam and Eve did, and this is what we do. And let's measure this. Can you guys stand with me? I'm going to finish it up on your feet. We'll pray. Source, source, what happened? The serpent came, and he started convincing them that they had the wrong source. Not just that it was the wrong source, but there was an alternative one. He didn't tell them to abandon God. What he did do is paint a picture of how good life could be like if some of the things God didn't put in their hands were being held by them. You guys hold on to this. Because the enemy doesn't actually care most of the time. The enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy, but he doesn't have to do much killing and much destroying. Because he's stealing our purpose all the time because of a lack of contentment. The serpent comes into your life in one way or another, and he starts saying, did he really tell you that you couldn't eat of this tree? God's holding back from you. Does it seem like a good God if he wouldn't want you in a relationship when you're desperate for a relationship? And let's just be honest, maybe we're more desperate for a human relationship than we are for a relationship with God. Soul, soul. His relationship matters the most. Life is not a rom-com. This is not Hallmark. Okay, you ain't going to roll up into some country town and roll across a coffee shop owner who's also a billionaire's kid. All right? And then you start engaging in a relationship and your trash relationship back there was basically ending anyway. And then they show up when you don't expect it. And then you're like, oh, I should go back with them. But then you realize your mistake and then you break up with that person and you run back to the small town for the guy that had some mysterious thing that caused you to not like him and him not trust you or something else. And then you end up happily ever after. This is not Hallmark, guys. Okay? It's not homework. It's eternal. Homework is fake news. This is good news. Good, as in perfect, without flaw or error, transformational, awesome, from the mouth of God. And if we can be a generation that isn't trying to define how many influencers we have, how big of the crowd we get, and we're just content with what God has put in our hands. And we don't start chasing stuff he didn't put in our hands. Then everything God wants for you will be put in your hands. And that will always be enough. Right? So here's my prayer. They decided here that they needed something else. The snake came in and caused them to question it. Death entered the world because of one bite. Not because they bought a factory or planted an orchard. One bite, a little bit, a little bit changes the color. A little food coloring in a picture changes the color. It changes the dynamic. Guard from the little things, guys. A seed gets planted inside your soul, and you're not sensitive to watch it, and you don't have community to have your back. You'll go in your backyard 
And before you know it, there's a tree there that's creating all kinds of problems, stealing the nutrients from everything that's meant to be there. All because of something small. Everything grows. People say healthy things grow. Cancer grows. Tell me that's healthy. Disease grows. Healthy and unhealthy things grow. Work. Satan's like, all I have to do is get you to stop multiplying it or to stop protecting it. If he can get you to stop multiplying, then he doesn't have to worry about your protection of it because he can keep it ineffective. He wants to kill your effectiveness, wants to kill your growth. He just needs access to one. We don't give him access to any. Purpose. God called them to be the model for all humanity of God's goodness. And after the servant, what did we inherit? Sin. What God wanted to be inherited was these principles modeled throughout humanity in beautiful relationship and multiplication. And when they choose to modify it, it created a wake effect of sin that we're still dealing with today. Short of Jesus being in our life. Romans 5. And it all started, this isn't last, this is what you fight for. It started with them making them feel for the very first time a lack of contentment. You guys follow me? James 3, 15 through 17 says this. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy, it's a lack of contentment, and selfish ambition, that is a multiplication, a double down on a lack of contentment, where jealousy and selfish, not God-centered, selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice but the wisdom from above is first pure peaceful gentle open to reason 2024 needs to be open to reason full of mercy full of mercy not cancel culture mercy good fruits what we produce is beneficial to others impartial impartial and sincere go read this a few times James 3 16 and 17. Close your eyes really quick. I'm going to remind you of this. We're going to end where we began. Ephesians 2. <clears throat> we are His. We are His. At the end of every service, we create room for you to pray to encounter the presence of God, but we also make provision for this. Now, this is not a prayer. This is a prayer. This is not just a phrase to be repeated. When you repeat this, you're not saying it out loud to join a branded Christian social club. When you pray this, this is real. You're communicating to God. I'm going to lead you through a prayer of repentance. This is what this is for. Any sin in your life. If you're in the room today and you're not sure if you died, you would spend eternity in heaven. That decision is now up to you on whether that becomes your reality or not. If you sincerely repent and surrender your life and receive the grace that Jesus paid for on the cross and doubled down on by coming back from death, ascending to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to be the seal of that promise of salvation, then you can walk out in confidence knowing your life is now in better hands than when you walked in this room. Because surrendering your life to him means you've stopped being an owner. You're going to steward and protect the thing that belongs to him. And so today, if you're living in sin and there's cycles of sin in your life, pray this prayer. If you're not sure you'd spend eternity in heaven, pray this prayer, but pray this prayer. Don't say the words, pray this prayer. And for everyone in the room, I'm going to invite you, everyone, to say this out loud, to come alongside of your brothers and sisters in the room who need this moment. This isn't fire insurance. This is real. This isn't an emotional moment. It's a spiritual one. And so all together, let's pray this. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Let's say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I repent. I acknowledge. I am a sinner. I have sinned. 
I have done things, thought things, and said things that did not please you. Now pause for a second. Holy Spirit, bring these things to the minds of your sons and daughters. Just wait for a second. Allow him to bring to your mind the things that he wants to bring grace to. Now let's start. Say, Jesus, I repent of all of those things. I give you my life. I surrender all. Forgive me of of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Transform me into a new creation. In Jesus' name. Now the Bible says that if you did all of that and you said it to God and you meant it with all your heart and soul, that he is removing the sin out of your soul and he's replacing it with the goodness of his son. So we're going to take a few minutes. Our prayer team is going to be over here on my right, your left. And if you got something going on in your life and you want to stand with someone and have them pray with you, if you need a miracle or a healing in your body, God still performs miracles. If you need a word of encouragement, if you just need someone to look at and say, I'm just having a hard time, and then look back and pray for you. This is for you. We create this ministry for you, this prayer ministry. So take some time. You can sit where you're at. Take a few minutes. You can just resonate on what God's saying. At the very least, I encourage you to take this time and start where we are and where we began and say, Holy Spirit, what do you bring into my mind? What do you want to say to me? Take a few minutes and then we'll close the service.